Hey there, I am Captain Roger of the Salvation Army in Grass Valley, California. Thank you for joining our online worship and study time. Feel free to ask any questions at any time, because we think that doubt and uncertainty are a vital part of faith and belief. You don't need to believe the same things we believe to belong here. In fact, we prefer that everyone thinks for themselves and shares their thoughts and ideas with the rest of us. Because together we can wrestle through what it means to share space as part of God's glorious creation and how that does or doesn't matter to the people and the communities around us and the world around them. If you wanted to tackle any of this stuff IRL, we could be face-to-face. Our main gathering is here in Grass Valley at our Alta Street location every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. And the doors are open to anyone who wants to come and spend some time with us. Really? Why am I making a big deal out of that today when I usually just launch into some scripture or other? Well, our passage today is the last few sentences of Acts chapter 2, which is where Luke is going to tell us about the way the first believers in the resurrected Jesus came together and what that looked like. So it seems appropriate to start with an invitation for you to come and be part of our in-person gathering if you're near enough to do so. If not, find a worship gathering near you and see how you can be blessed by them and how you can be a blessing to them. Is that hard sometimes? Sure, but it's worth it. Let's get into the word. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. By the way, Grace and peace to you all today. Hey, when I throw out scripture references, even if I put the passage up on the screen, let me encourage you, look it up for yourself. If I or anyone else says that something is in the Bible and that it's important, just check and make sure we aren't mistaken or worse, lying to you. Proverbs 33 verse 7 might say that Roger is always right, but the truth is... I have been known to slip up at times, to typo or mistype things at other times, and outright misrepresent things either for a laugh or to make a point. Like, there is no Proverbs 33, and even if there was, there wouldn't be a verse in it that says Roger is always right. So grab a Bible and double check me. Now, if you don't have one, we keep copies in a few different translations here, and you are welcome to have one, um, either for a short period of time or forever. And while we are studying the book of Acts, we've got these nifty Bible journals, which I seem to have neglected to put here at hand, Um, but they have the whole book of Acts in the New International Version, 2011 edition, and that's printed on one side, and then on the other side, there's a lot of room for notes and space to write. So grab one of those, put your name in it, write your thoughts in it, your questions, and keep it forever and ever because it is yours. Um, those of you who are watching here online, I would love to send one of these to you. If you don't have one, just shoot me a note. I'll have it in the mail to you this week. All right. Now, hopefully I gave everyone time to find the book of Acts chapter two. We're going to start today with a single verse, Acts two, 42. Acts two, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's Acts 2.42. The the they, in this instance, that's the collective term for the roughly 3,200 people who made up the group of believers in Jerusalem. Well, that was how many they started out with, anyway. The uh, description Luke is giving us is a summary. It, It tells us what this group was like at the beginning, and 
also what they were like for the first generation there. Right? So it's about the now point of the story that we're at and also about the story that unfolded after that. Right? That's the way the summaries work. So that's the who. How about the what? Well, the what is that they devoted themselves. Devoted and, you know, that word is a good one, but the way people use it nowadays is a little different. Now, when you devote yourself to something, it's a, it's a love thing, as in he was so devoted to his wife, he followed her around like a puppy. And I'm not saying that there was no love involved in this gathering of believers, because, of course, there was. But that's not really what's being said here. Instead, it might be better to say that these folks persevered in the things that they did. Right. Persevered. Now, we're going to get to what those things that they were persevering in were in just a sec. But there's something really, really important about this part I want us all to hear and understand. What did Peter say in the sermon we read last week? I want to stuff some understanding in your ears. Why did they need to persevere? Why is that a thing? Hmm. You know, my daughter recently has begun to play the flute that reminded me of being in fifth grade when I played the flute. And I, well, okay, I say played, but I think dabbled might be a better description. Or, or maybe um, half-heartedly, occasionally made a stab at playing without ever really learning how. <laughs> without ever really working at it. I mean, musical instruments, they take some learning and some practice and some more practice. And then after that, a little more practice. You got to keep after it. You got to do it regularly because you cannot master it after just one run through and your body and your brain, they conspire to get you to forget what you've learned. If you only practice once a week, you will never get past the first note or two and you'll never learn to really play the flute. That was me. After four months of showing up for my once-a-week music class, I was really no better than I had been at first, so I, I dropped it, and I think my music teacher was grateful. Persevering is making a point of going on, even when you screw up or forget or need some help to move forward. This big group of believers, they were learning something much more complicated than a musical instrument, too. They were learning a whole new way of thinking and of approaching the world. They were learning to live new lives with a different attitude and culture than the one that they had each grown up in. And they were learning to do it together, even though there were people from all walks of life in this group. And, you know, they screwed up sometimes. And they argued. And they did things that were, well, they, they wittingly or unwittingly, they hurt each other. How could they get over things like that and still stay together as a group? Well, they, they had to persevere. They had to say, look, I choose to devote myself to this. I will not be defeated by these things. I will stick to it. I will continue to learn and to practice and to try. I will persevere. Do you hear this? Well, why do I say it's important? Well, because the church, particularly the Western church, we have not done the greatest job of this. Hmm. The last time I saw a number... There were more than 35,000 denominations of Christian church in the United States. 35,000. Why are there so many denominations? Well, because instead of persevering and pursuing life together, we've given up and gone our own way. Sometimes over things that really don't matter. 
How many people out here know the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, I had to memorize it as a kid in my confirmation class. Uh, confirmation classes, that was kind of a Church Beliefs 101 class. Some form of that it usually gets administered to uh, teens in most denominations. But the words that we learned are different from the words in some of the other churches. Well, one, one word in particular. Um, if you know this prayer, say this one line with me. Forgive us our... All right. So in the Salvation Army, we say trespasses. But in the Evangelical Covenant Church I grew up in, we said debts. And they both mean the same thing. But whole churches have split over which word to use, which is, uh, forgive me, it's stupid. One, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I could go there. Other things that have created problems leading to separation include singing songs written in the modern era instead of only those written in past centuries. In the 1970s, there was this huge debate over whether guitars should be allowed in church or if pianos and organs was as far as we should go. Salvationists thought that the whole argument was silly. We only allowed brass instruments. No flutes, by the way. Mm, yeah. How to baptize people? When you should take communion? Or should you? Is it okay to come to church in your street clothes? Or do you need to dress up? Can women wear pants? Can men wear a dress? Is it okay to bring coffee into the church? Is rock and roll a gateway to Satan? Is it okay to color or pass notes in church? Or is that disrespectful to the preacher or to God? Somehow, in churches modeled on this group that decided to persevere together in faith, we have demonstrated a near total lack of perseverance and a real failure of unity over the years. Why? Because instead of devoting ourselves to the things that that early group of faithful people chose to cling to, we've devoted ourselves to, well, to ourselves. If my way isn't right, if my way isn't the way that everyone is doing things, obviously whatever it is you're doing is wrong and you're going straight to hell. <laughs> wait, wait, you mean the whole thing isn't actually about me? No, sorry. It's about Jesus and his message and our decision to follow him. Even when it leads us to allow people to pray for the forgiveness of their debtors. What is it exactly that those early followers were devoted to? Well, that was listed in the verse that we read. Uh, the apostles teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Those are the things that they were devoted to. All right. So let's break those down then. What were the apostles teaching? Look at the very end of the gospel of Matthew and, you, and you'll know. Uh, it says this. This is Matthew 28 um, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Right. Um, so if they were following instructions, what they were teaching was what Jesus commanded. Which was what exactly? In uh, John chapters 14 and 15, Jesus repeats over and over and over again, follow my command, 
do what I command, do what God commands. I'm telling you, so do it. And then in John 15, 17, in case we couldn't figure it out from all the other things Jesus said, he lays it out in very simple terms, so simple that even I can understand it. John 15, 17, this is my command, love each other. Love each other, right. So does this mean we're just supposed to love other people in the church, right? Just other people in the church and our friends, we can love them, but we don't have to love everyone. Uh, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. Jesus was very clear about that from the beginning. We are supposed to love everyone. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 43, he said, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? So, love your neighbors and love your enemies. So the command of Jesus is this. Ready? Love. Love. That's agape love, by the way. Agape is the choice that you make to care for, feel affection for, and work for the benefit of another person. It's not about an emotional, warm, fuzzy reaction. It's a choice that you make. It is a decision to persevere in doing good, even to someone who's acting evilly towards you. Even someone who's doing you harm. Even someone who wants to play rock music in church. Yeah. It can take some doing. There are reasons why those early followers of Jesus had to persevere in following him. They screwed up regularly. And they needed to go back and try again to get it right. Like learning to play the flute. Learning to love takes time and practice. And that's what the apostles were teaching. What Jesus commanded and how he said it could be lived out. So what about those other things these believers were focused on? How did those help them all keep working together. Well, fellowship is the next thing mentioned. And it comes from a Greek word you've probably heard, koinonia. It's what you have when you're participating together or sharing something with others. The, the next two are a couple of the things that they're sharing. Are you sitting down before I remind you what they are? Yeah. They ate together. They ate together. Yes, all of them. And they prayed together too. Now, I realize this may not seem so shocking to our modern sensibilities, but to people in the first century, that kind of intimacy was reserved for specific groups. You ate with people who were at or very near the same social level as you were. And you were seated according to the honor level you were seen to be at. Thus, the wealthiest and most influential would be together beside the host at a meal. And those who were just below them, such as family members or high-ranking retainers, would be next. And those below that, they wouldn't be allowed to join them. Slaves were uh, there in the room at a banquet to serve and remain vigilant to make sure guests had what they needed, but they weren't allowed to speak. Often they weren't even allowed to move without explicit orders to do so. But the followers of Jesus crossed over all social levels from the rich and influential to the slaves. To eat together? 
it was almost unheard of to pray together very much the same and men and women praying together crazy and age factored into this as well children might not have been allowed at a meal with a non-family member until they were married but here they're being told to do everything together or we are being told that they did everything together in this new world of spirit-led believers in Jesus, it's everyone all together. It's amazing. Before long, as the numbers grew and people from other areas began to be part of the believers, this led to some uncomfortable challenges. Some of which we're going to address as we work through Acts, and some of which are talked about by Paul in his letters. In fact, his letters very often are are uh, carefully constructed around uh, him just saying, be nice to each other, get along, make yourself get along. For now, for this very first group of believers gathering together, what matters is that they are dedicated to persevering as they try to learn to live out what Jesus taught. They are also dedicated to sharing life together, both the day-to-day -day life and the intimate gatherings. They ate together and they worshiped together. And as they did these things they had committed themselves to do, stuff began to happen. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostle. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Everyone was filled with awe. And this really does mean everyone. Well, not everyone chose to accept Jesus. Those who did uh, remained pious and continued the religious habits of the Judaism that they had grown up in. They visited the temple. They shared the message of Jesus and the love of Jesus with those around them. They invited others to join them. And those others kept coming. I've got a friend in England whose uh, parents attended one of the original Salvation Army Corps there. They apparently had a records room that included messages and orders from all the way back to the first years. And one memo that they ran across was a message from General William Booth to one of the units in London ordering the soldiers there, uh, that, that's what we call congregation members, soldiers, um, he was ordering the soldiers to choose one of two other corps to attend effective immediately. And he was going to reassign the officers and close the unit that they were all from because he said it wasn't spiritually viable. They had had just over 600 members the summer before, and now, a year later, they still had just over 600. Booth said that because there had been no growth, obviously, they shouldn't be there. Can you imagine that? I don't think there are 600 soldiers in our entire division here in Northern California and Nevada. My goal here in Grass Valley is to uh, achieve 91. And I've asked that we not be moved until we are successful in cultivating that many members. Not that anyone takes my wishes into consideration there, but that is my goal. We do not move until after we have 91 members in our church. Currently, we have, um, let me count, uh, yeah, three. 
So God needs to start sending me some people or I got to start being more responsive to the leading of the spirit here because you know, something's got to change. And actually we've seen some growth with people coming in and that's a blessing and that is neither here nor there. What we want to talk about is the fact the apostles, they were dealing with this larger pool of people to draw from. But I don't know that that matters if God decides to spark a spiritual fire here in Grass Valley. I am certain there are at least 88 souls who are interested in following Jesus or interested in learning about following Jesus and sharing his love in our community. It only takes a spark to get a fire going, and it only takes a handful of people devoted to doing the will of God to change the world. Don't believe me? Look at what those first folks were doing. Started with... 11. Then they became 12. Then they were 120. And now they're 3,200. And now they are growing daily. How is it that's happening? Well, it's because they work together using the resources they had available to them to meet the human needs of those in their community. That's what we do here. And I think we can do it better and in a more God-focused way so that people around us, those we've helped, those who will never need our help, those who are willing to help, whether or not they have any interest in who or what we are, all those folks can be invited to come together and work together and play together and reach out to help and change the world together. Let's eat together with glad and sincere hearts. Let's praise God and do what we can to earn the favor of the community. And let's invite others to join us so that they can do the same. When I wrote a title for today's section, I called this No Such Thing as the Church. See, those first believers, they met in each other's homes and in the community. They brought food and they shared it with one another. They set aside a culture of exclusion and they accepted each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all journeying on a path towards God. And that journey is easier and more joyful when we walk it together. When we support and encourage each other on the way. When we help others who have stumbled get back to their feet so that they can join us on the path. When we help each other weather the storms that blow into every life now and again. When we accept that each of us has our own challenges and struggles to face as we navigate this trail and we allow for that and accept that we can be very different from one another and still be God's beloved children. I guess what I'm saying is this. I am choosing to devote myself to the apostles' teaching, to that thing that Jesus commanded his followers to do. Join me. Join me. Put your trust in the risen Savior who came in the name and power of the God who created us. Accept his spirit as your helper and advisor. And when you do so, we will be joined together in God's kingdom and in our mission to reach others in the name of that kingdom and its ruler, Jesus. Come with me. Let's share the Spirit of God and all available resources, including our time and a decision to love one another. Let's lean on one another and lift each other up with prayer, both when we're together and when we're apart. Let's devote ourselves to growing the kingdom of God by helping care for the planet and the people he created for each of us to live with. What do you say? Are you with me? More importantly... Are you with God? Let's pray together.
Lord. I, it's so easy to love the people who are just like us. It's so easy to love the people who are inside of our little bubbles, inside of our, our cliques that we live in. Help us to stretch those boundaries. Help us to love one another. Simple instructions, right? Love one another. You gave us the easiest and most difficult job to do all in that one word, agape, love. Help us to do it well. Help us to do it together. And help us to surround ourselves with people who, when we falter, they don't jump on us, criticize us, yell at us. Instead, they help us up, help point us back towards you, and help us all journey together with Jesus towards the kingdom that you are establishing. Lord, help us to uh, give our allegiance to you and to lead others to do the same through our love for them and for each other. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, who loved us all as well as anyone ever could and still does. Amen. Amen. Hey, wherever you think you're at, wherever you think you're going, remember this. God is with you. Wherever you go, God is already there. So go with God. You have nothing to fear. Grace and peace to each and every one of you in this coming week. See you later.